Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Elon Musk's Twitter to my old Twitter. It's just a beach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin. I think we may have just witnessed the craziest weekend of results in championship history. Some of the results this weekend make as little sense as Elon Musk's Twitter. <laughs> it's a really good point. It was such a bizarre... Just bizarre set of results coming through. I think we didn't really have, I didn't really have um, full access to the goals coming in, but just updating Twitter every now and then. And there's something happening over at QPR Burnley. Then there's something happening somewhere else. It was just one of those things where I was just constantly refreshing my my broken Twitter, as Musk would, yeah, has has vastly contributed to, um, as we pointed out. But yeah, it was a it was a bonkers day really, um, but one that can't really be unexpected at this stage in the season because these things happen every single season yeah but it's still so surprising still isn't it I'm, yeah. I'm amazed that only four teams are mathematically guaranteed to be in the championship next season <laughs> we've got two games yeah. remaining for most sides and it's still all to play for at so many different ends of the division I mean you, you look at the playoff race there's only three points separating fifth and twelfth it's absolutely bonkers everything is going down to the wire and it's incredibly difficult to predict who's going down who's going to finish in the playoffs isn't it yeah that's the beauty of it i think we get a lot of people not giving us giving us stick but going oh you predicted these to go down at this point it's like the championship is ever changing and if there's any if there's any better example of that it's the last few weeks where at one point we're thinking Millwall are almost guaranteed their place and Sunderland have got no chance of reaching that top six you know those those situations have reversed themselves suddenly Wigan and Blackpool have you know, one eye on maybe getting out of the bottom three if mm. things go their way it is just absolutely staggering and it's it's why it's why the championship gets its unpredictable or unpredictability un- unpredictability tag not necessarily, you know, teams coming down with parachute payments. That makes it very predictable. But it's situations like this. It's situations where teams are chasing for the top six and, and trying to stay off relegation. That's where the unpredictability comes into it. And that's what we're seeing right now. It's beautiful. Share a chat about it. May as well. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to try and unravel the craziness of the past weekend, talk about all the games, uh, talk about what it means for the final two games of the season, well, well, three games for some teams, talk about some of the news for the past few days as well, and then we'll finish off with Lee Camp's championship tennis right at the end. So let's begin with one of the craziest results in championship history. Burnley won QPR 2. Burnley haven't lost a championship game at home since 2015. They had only lost two games all season. QPR had won one game in the whole of 2023 and only won five points from a possible 55 under Gareth Ainsworth. Justin, this doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) It doesn't. I asked a question on my Twitter, how many QPR fans actually predicted QPR to win and thankfully the majority were sane because if you're backing QPR to win this game you are uh, an optimist I think would be the kindest way of saying it but it is absolutely bonkers and again it just lends that unpredictability of the championship Burnley to to be fair to them were very very creative they they did knock on a door quite a few times but QPR fighting for their lives tooth and nail everything you need everything gritty that you need at this stage in the season, it was there on show for QPR, something that we haven't seen at all, really, from, from Gary Payne's side. Yeah, 
completely mad. And again, watching these scores come in, ever changing, incredible. Just no, no other words to say it other than wow. It was a bonkers game. And for those who didn't see it, it went exactly as you would imagine it would. Burnley had 21 shots to QPR's six. Burnley had 81% possession. <laughs> QPR midfielder Tim Irogbunum didn't complete a pass. He was on the pitch for 67 minutes. And there's one moment in this game where Burnley hit the bar, force a point black save from Senny Dieng and have the ball cleared off the line in the space of five seconds. It was crazy. There was also a lot of time wasting. There's time wasting and then there was this. It was it was excessive at times. But I think this may be the biggest shock result in Championship history, Justin. We've had a few mad results this season, but I don't see how it can possibly get any bigger than this. There was always that Leeds-Wigan result from a few years ago where Wigan hadn't won a game away from home all season then beat top of the league Leeds and this is on the same level as that isn't it you've got one of the best teams in championship history coming up against a team who have been woeful for months and were seemingly getting worse even though this is the championship and we should be used to shocks happening I never saw this coming in a million years and the other crazy thing is you look at the table QPR are virtually safe, which I don't really understand. How has that happened? I'm sure they got relegated a few weeks ago. And now one win and they're up to 18th. Four points clear of the bottom three. They're basically shored up on Survival Island. (laughs) This is the staggering thing about this result. No one was... I mean, if you're talking about games coming up, everyone would have seen this as a free hit. Let's try and limit the damage that Burnley could do. And let's see what we can do in those final two games. It, uh, to then get a result is just an added bonus. And for them to keep you off, to go up to 18th. I mean, uh, only, only th- what, three, four points above the bottom three. Yes, fair enough. But still, to go up to 18th and not necessarily guaranteeing safety, but taking a massive stride. We're talking 10 metres away from you know, from the edge of the boat. They they just about jump it and they're clinging on by their fingertips to the, to the edge of that boat. It is an incredible, incredible result that just changes the whole dynamic dynamic of that that bottom bottom group of teams fighting for relegation. They've gone above Rotherham. Rotherham have been dragged into it. It's completely bizarre. Again, you just can't understate how much, how big of a win and how big of a goal that was from Chris Martin. Yeah, QPR look like they may be staying up after all, which I don't understand how <laughs> that's happened. But things have been so bad that... I think the problems from this season will persist into next season. If they would go down this season, it would be fully deserved. They've had one of the most spectacular drop-offs in championship history. And they could very well be saved simply by one of the teams having a points deduction. It could just come down to that. But if they do survive, I would be worried about them next season. The fans aren't happy with the club hierarchy for a start. And the biggest thing for me is I'm not sure... Gareth Ainsworth is the right man. I always feel like I have to caveat any criticism of him by saying he's a nice guy, but they've been shocking since he's come in. The football's so one-dimensional, lumping it up constantly to Lyndon Dykes. And QPR play best when they're giving the ball to the feet of the likes of Elias Chair, but the style simply doesn't suit him because he's not getting on the ball enough. So... They're one of a few clubs who I think will be in trouble next season if they manage to stay up next season because they may survive, but there's still a lot of work to do to actually get this club going in the right direction again. Just enough Burnley taking their foot off the gas. It's now three wins, three games without a win now for them. It's the first time since August that they've gone this long without a win. In the past week, they've dropped points to Rotherham, Reading and QPR. It's making the relegation battle interesting. But what do you think? Have their standards dropped? I don't think their standards standards have dropped. I think those three games are probably more awkward than many might let on. They've got two teams, or three teams, sorry, down there fighting for their lives. We saw how compact Reading were and how how difficult they tried to make it happen for, for Burnley midweek. We saw it the same with Rotherham. Um, and we saw the same here with QPR. And again, a common theme with those three games is Burnley still created an unreal amount of chances. And if, you can, if, you, if you're taking 21 shots on goal over the course of three or four games, you're expecting to, to at least win. I mean, the goal that Burnley scored as well was a you know, moment of brilliance from Benson, really. 
so that just goes to show just maybe wasn't quite their day in front of goal that sequence that you mentioned as well uh, of Burnley having three shots on top or three shots on goal within the space of five or six seconds um, and you know the QPR's resilience and just absolute determination to get on the end of it those things those are things that you can't measure we've said it time and time again and unfortunately Burnley have just come up against these teams at the wrong time none of them have been cut adrift they're still fighting for something and that's probably where it lends to they've probably come up against teams fighting for something that maybe Burnley haven't faced in a, you know quite a few weeks so not complacency not maybe not taking the foot off the gas I think it's just bad bad luck to be honest with you I'd probably agree with you, Justin. Maybe the standards have dropped. I can see why people would argue that. I'm not sure that is the case, though. But you can guarantee that the standards won't have dropped on Tuesday night. They're away at big rivals Blackburn. They will be well up for that one. And it's a proper thigh rubber as well. A late winner from Teo Asgard. Saw Wigan win 2-1 at home to Millwall. Another big shock. Only the second time this season. Wigan have won back-to-back games. But... They played really well here. They were much the better side. And you'd say they're still probably going down. But if they are, they're certainly not doing it quietly. You may as well go down swinging. Um, and if that gives you a chance to at least land a punch on, on someone around you and you can maybe claw out, then then that's that's all they can do. Obviously, the damage has been done for Wigan quite early on. But whilst you can't rule them out, it's quite hard to give... Yeah, a convincing argument that Wigan will escape the bottom three. That being said, performances like this will give them so will give supporters and staff and everyone so much optimism for next season. Um, again, you look at how defensively resolute they were. They were they were great. They 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 made it hard for Millwall to create chances. You know, Millwall are a good side, and and, and Wigan went toe to toe with them physically as well. And uh, again, Wigan side they're a side that don't create too much. They didn't create a shed load here, but they were still effective in going forwards and breaking when they needed to. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a positive. And as I say, you can only go down swinging in Wigan's position. And if that if that benefits them in them staying up or at least gives them a bit of a kickstart for next season, then there are positives to take. Yeah, there's still four points from safety, despite the two wins that they've had. And when you've got two games remaining, you're basically... Wigan have got to win two games again, haven't they? Which I can't really see happening, considering this was the, only the second time this season they've recorded back-to-back wins. But, you know, they've got a lifeline, and that's good enough, I suppose, isn't it? A great moment here where Wigan goalkeeper Jamie Jones catches the ball, tries to start a counter-attack with a quick throw-out, and ends up throwing it straight to a Millwall player. Scott Malone, I think it was. So Jones is then manically sprinting back to his goal, but manages to save the attempt in the end. I think this game, though, is just another example of what we've been saying for a while now, Justin. Sean Maloney proving to be the right man to lead this Wigan team next season, isn't he? Without doubt. He's saying all the right things. I can't tell you how positively I'm taking what he's saying after games. He's very honest. He's very meticulous. He's He's got a style of play that is slowly talking the talk, if you're going to throw the uh, you know, a bit of a saying in there. he's He just needs to get more out of this attack. And I think in, t- in time, he probably can do. Um, as I say, defensively they are—they're looking a very good side, and they've got some talent in, in attack. You look at Will Keane; he's not really been on it. He's still got double-figure goals for this season. He's got two in two, but he's not scored since mid-Jan. So there's still a lot of quality to to, to milk out of this team, uh, for use of a better, better, term, better phrase. So there's still potential there, um, and as I say, I, I like a lot. I like Maloney a lot, and I think he can he can do a lot with Wigan next season. If they are in League One, then the thought of you know, Will Keane again in League One, considering yeah. he scored a hat load next season. It's very positive. And, you know, Callum Lang was great in League One last season. not had a great season this season. But if those two have similar seasons to what they had before, then you'd have thought combining the defensive side of the game that we've seen under Maloney, plus those goals that those two can contribute to the team, sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, so it does. You'd be feeling quite positive about Wigan's chances of bouncing back at the first time of asking if they indeed do go down. A shout out for Ashley Fletcher as well in this game. He suffered a bad elbow injury but carried on playing because Wigan didn't have any subs left. Not only did he stay on the pitch but he's still running around and pressing so hats off to him. Justin, we said for Millwall not to get into the playoffs. They would have to really slip up in a major way because of their position in the table and their remaining opponents. They're doing a great job of doing just that, aren't they? Back-to-back losses for the first time since August. 
yeah, it's frustrating, I think, because you know that the quality is there in this Millwall team. You know that they are giving away some sloppy goals at the moment. Three defeats in the last four doesn't make for, for nice reading either, and it's just coming at the wrong time. You can't suffer a dip in form at this stage, especially if you've not got a nice points gap like Middlesbrough did, for example. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, disappointing from a Millwall perspective. And I think what's telling here is they struggle to match Wigan's tenacity um, and in, and in industry in this game, if I'm going to you know, throw it out there. I think it's not a, a case of it being a bad, um, you know, not, not, not lacking effort, but they just... It just felt like there was missing something missing from this game. Maybe maybe it mattered to more mattered more for Wigan, and there's a little bit of complacency from Millwall. But we know that there's plenty of quality to get in this team. But as I'm saying, dropping off now is not the time to do it. You've got to go again and go again and go again because that's what the playoffs are. You cannot afford to slip up, and if you slip up, um, you don't get the chance of promotion. And that's what Millwall are doing at the moment. It is not ideal. I think this phrase gets overused, but if Millwall don't finish in the playoffs. They will have bottled it, won't so. they? They, yeah. they had a three-point cushion with four games remaining. And their next three games were Birmingham, who have nothing to play for, and Wigan and Blackpool, who are both rammed into the relegation zone. They've now lost two of those three games. There is no excuse for them not finishing in the top six. But the form has dropped off. They've picked up five points from a possible 21 and have scored only three goals in seven games. Now, I know they've had injuries and they've been consistent virtually all season, but they're having a wobble at the worst possible time, aren't they? And the thing is as well, even if they crawl over the line, you do not want to be heading into the playoffs in poor form. I can't recall too many teams who have won them having only won one from so many games. So they have to win their next two games for multiple reasons. I mean, they've fallen out of the playoffs now, but considering they've got Blackpool next weekend, if they don't win that, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs, do they? A big game in the playoff race and the relegation battle saw Coventry beat Reading 2-1. This was a very one-sided game. The scoreline does not do it justice. Reading managed to level in the second half thanks to a lovely goal from Lucas Yao, but it was completely undeserved. The only disappointing thing for Coventry is they didn't win this one by more. Gus Hamer was... Excellent here. It was, without a doubt, one of the best performances I've seen from a midfielder this season. He should have had at least a hat-trick of assists if it wasn't for some uncharacteristically poor finishing from Victor Jokerez. What a player, though, he is. He's he's become only the second player to get double figures for assists in the Championship this season. <laughs> Probably should be top of the charts if it wasn't for bloody Jokerez spooning his shots. <laughs> Commentary are now fifth, though. Truly remarkable. Their final games are Birmingham at home and Middlesbrough away. They've got a battle on to try and hold on to that playoff place because essentially half the country are only a few points behind them. But how do you rate their chances of doing so, Justin? I mean, they're peaking at a good time. It's a, it's a, it's a good time for players like Gus Hamer to be informed. He's got 18 goal contributions now this season, which is absolutely unreal, really. Um, but they are peaking at a good time. They're taking advantage of Millwall dropping off Blackburn, dropping off West Brom, dropping off and obviously Norwich and Preston seemingly being there or thereabouts, but not having enough. So I would rate their chances quite highly. As I say, they are, I mean, they're unbeaten in five. Sunderland are on a similar run of form. Whereas Blackburn are failing to win games and see them out, and Millwall is, you know, struggling as we've just as we've just discussed. So, based purely on that, it's going to be difficult. And when you've got someone like Victor Jokeres, who was still a menace but wasn't taking his chances, he's not going to repeat that mistake, is he? He's going to go hungry into that next game and want, and want more goals, which is only going to serve Coventry Coventry even better. They're sturdy defensively as well. They have been pretty much all season after that first blip, um, uh, yeah, to start to start the campaign, but. You can't underestimate the job that uh, Robbins has done. And for them to be fifth right now is, is, is quite staggering based purely on their budget. But as I say, the form, it's it's pointing the right way. I'm not going to predict anything. I don't dare. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to predict, <laughs> isn't it, considering there's so many teams in the mixer. They have been dealt a huge blow with Ben Sheaf being ruled out for a month. Liam Kelly came in and did a good job, though. Having Matty Godden fit and firing is a big plus as well because if Jokerez has a bad day like he did against Reading, then it's huge having that other source of goals. Coventry are a great side and I reckon they'll get there. Mark Robbins has described their two remaining games as a bust win. I think the, the Birmingham game definitely is. After that, 
they might have enough breathing space because <laughs> all the teams around there are very, very much faltering, aren't they? But we'll wait and see. If Gus Neymar keeps playing as well as he has been, then he could get them a playoff place on his own because he has been exceptional recently. Not a great weekend for Reading, though. Rotherham were the only other team in the bottom seven not to lose, uh, to lose, sorry. I think the gun was previously pointing in the direction of Reading and QPR, Justin. Now it's pointing directly at Reading and the gun has just been cocked. It's a good analogy. It's it's um, a, a nice summary of the situation Reading are in at the moment. They're desperate. They're absolutely desperate. I don't think there's any other way of describing it. It's it, it really does mask the good work I think Noel Hunt has done over the last two games, making them more compact, resilient, difficult to break down, and um, and there are a lot of positives. But this was yeah quite a one-sided game, as you say. There were positives to take from it. I think Lucas Shaw doing what he can do, having that moment of magic. Again, you're looking back in previous weeks where Paul Lintz hasn't played him, hasn't utilised him to his strengths, focused more on Andy Carroll, who isn't as prolific as Lucas Zhao is at this level. That's probably where the undoing is is, is coming from Reading. That inability to really value the players that are currently there in a system that will get the best out of them. And probably that that might see them down. That inability to make a decision on Ince sooner on, um, sooner or earlier in the season. So that might be the issue. But as I say... I don't want to be too critical because I think Noel Hunt's done an admirable task so far in what's been really difficult circumstances, but that is a damaging defeat, as, as as damaging as they come, especially with teams around them picking up points. Yeah, I don't think many people would have actually expected Reading to get anything from this game, but it is undeniably still damaging. They've got three teams directly above them, all having a game in hand, and that leaves them in a sticky position. And if we're doing the survival island metaphor... I think they've just been hit by a cannonball right in the hull of the boat. The salvation for them is their remaining games. They've got Wigan and Huddersfield. That's obviously good because they're facing poorer sides, but it's also a chance to take points away from other sides. They've got to win against Wigan next weekend, haven't they? There's no ifs or buts about it. That is a must-win game. And then there's a good chance that Reading v Huddersfield could be a straight shootout and whoever loses that goes down. I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it, if it ended up being those two fighting out purely to stay up. It's like a reverse playoff final, isn't it? Um, I am starting to fear the worst with them, though. They simply have to win next weekend. Two playoff-chasing sides met at the Hawthorns on Sunday afternoon and it was Sunderland who were victorious, coming from a goal down to beat West Brom 2-1. Dennis Serkin with both the goals, a good game this it was fairly even actually West Brom went ahead with a penalty for a foul on John Swift which looked very soft Justin it's been a few of those this weekend it's I find my heart I find it quite hard to, to to make my mind up but again as I say there's been a few of those softish calls this weekend um that have swung the way in in the teams being fouled uh it's, it's swung in their favor so it's it's quite hard to to say maybe those contact um, but yeah you're probably right it's probably soft but as I say if there's contact and it goes down you're asking the question of the referee and then it's down to the referee and the referee gives it it's his decision it's as I say you can't really argue soft or not because we, we don't know the situation I mean that, that sounds like a very strange argument to make just well no it's, it's just if it's soft uh, there is contact, but it depends on how much contact there is. We'll, we'll talk about it later, but Jordan Hugo in the Rotherham game, for example, there's contact, but has Hugo initiated contact? It's situations like that. It's quite hard to disseminate from. That's all That's all I'm making the point. The point okay. Sunderland's winner was beautiful. Lovely passing. And the move was started by Dennis Serkin, finished by Dennis Serkin. They are a wonderful side to watch, our Sunderland. Sunderland now in the top six as well with this win. If they get in the playoffs, has Tony Mowbray still underachieved in your view, Justin? <laughs> uh, my, my my point on underachieving is down to the home form being not that great. That's 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 the basis of my argument. It's probably a weak argument in some eyes, but Frank maybe a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit more could have been had from this Sunderland side. I'm just talking about the potential of what they could have done this season had they have not you know lacked depth in their squad. For example, injuries haven't helped, but every squad's had injuries. I know. Everyone's going to point the finger at Ross Stewart, but the club should have acted upon that. They should have had more support in that department. They didn't. And that's probably what's let them down. 
they're in a they're in a really good position to finish in the top six. I admire the job that Tony Mowbray's done. If that home form is a bit better, they'll be comfortably in the top six. That's the difference. But whether he's underachieved or not, it's a, it's a it's one that I'm just over the spectrum of. Maybe he has just a little bit. That it still makes no sense. You you you, you know you are allowed to accept that you are wrong. As, as are you, Ryan. I'll remind you of that once uh, once the uh, campaign closes and we can talk about Blackburn. But Blackburn, who are looking increasingly likely not to finish in the playoffs, you mean? Not drop down the table like you said, though. But uh, yeah, we'll move on. Mm, okay. Um, back on Sunderland, I am quite jealous of Sunderland fans right now, really. You've got this talented young side who are playing great football and getting results as well. They're unbeaten in seven. Absolutely flying. And I thought Ross Stewart getting injured would write off any playoff chance they had, but they have just been excellent recently. Can they stay in the top six? Don't see why not. They're one of the informed teams in the division right now. They've got Watford next weekend. I'd fancy anyone to get a result against them currently. And then Preston on the final day. So they have got a great chance. And it would be an unbelievable achievement from Sunderland to get in the playoffs. They'd be the first promoted team to do it in eight years. Tony Mowbray has done a magnificent job there, despite your bizarre insinuation that he might have underachieved. <laughs> this is a body blow to West Brom's chances of a top six finish, though. There's still only two points off with a game in hand. That game is Sheffield United on Wednesday night, and that is looking like a huge one for them, isn't it? It's massive. I think injuries have come at the wrong time for them. They've got, obviously, we mentioned in the previous episode that they've got a lot of defensive injuries. DK's picked up a, a severe injury as well. It's just a bad time for them, but they did lack a clinical touch in the box in this game. But that's something they've had for large portions of the season. I don't know what the remedy is for that. If they've not been able to solve it over the last two and a half, two and a half campaigns under several different managers, I don't know. I don't know how, how best they can approach going forwards. Maybe bring in a specific type of coach to, to assist with that. It wasn't a poor game from them, but they were dominated by Sunderland who enjoyed who enjoyed large spells of possession and controlled large portions of the game. It's probably not something you'd expect at home, but it's a poor defeat in the, at the end of the day at a bad time after some really good points have picked up. So yeah, it's disappointing from West Brom's perspective. Their games become must-win, which is not the position you want to be in going in. You don't want that pressure hanging over you, whereas Coventry and Sunderland will be they have must-win games as well, but not probably, yeah, not feeling the pressure as much as the teams below them. Well, their huge advantage is that game in hand, isn't it? But when you remember that it's against Sheffield United, it makes that yeah. a really crucial game for them, doesn't it? But they, they have had a lot of injuries this season, haven't they? Daryl DK, Matt Phillips, Cal Bartley, Daro Shea, so mm-hmm. many big names who have been injured for them for long periods as well so yeah they're one of the sides who can count themselves a bit unlucky really with the amount of injuries that they've had this season and Ian Pervedegal saw Blackpool win 1-0 away at Birmingham Birmingham dominated the first half they had a crazy goal mouth scramble in the second where they had something like four shots on target it was incredible but then a sloppy back pass by Kevin Long at Blackpool we were a gift of the goal that turned out to be the winner. Stephen Dobby has now won as many games in charge of Blackpool as Mick McCarthy did. Dobby's been there for four games. McCarthy was there for 14. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> They're now three points from safety with two games left. Is worth remembering the three teams outside the bottom three all have a game in hand. So still unlikely that Blackpool will be going down, but same as Wigan. They've got a chance, haven't they? And... I think a question's got to be asked about whether they could have stayed up if they acted sooner and got rid of McCarthy a few weeks earlier than they did. What do you think, Justin? Or even just making a better decision, bringing in a manager who is capable of getting what is the potential of this squad. We we know there's plenty of attacking talent and Dobby's not shy of playing that attacking talent. Yeah, We saw it a couple of games ago where he played uh, like four wingers and two central midfielders and... Yates as well so he's, he's he's being brave with his selections and he's seeing the attacking value that these players have um, and to be fair under McCarthy they did, they did have games where they were creating more chances but they were just hopeless defensively whether or not they have improved significantly defensively under Dobby I don't know if that's the case or they're just grinding out games but there's a lot of potential in this team that could have been tapped into a lot sooner um, you know they could have it could have been tapped into a lot sooner had they sacked Appleton before the World Cup break for example it's just been bad decisions at the top that's led to this I think not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily down to the, the playing squad although there have been moments where they have been terrible 
but had they have acted sooner in, in, in both their previous two managers before Dobby, they might have they might see themselves out of the relegation zone. Simple as that. Mm. And he's certainly proving his credentials into that arguably playing their best football all season. And this is their third manager who's only been it's there for four games. So, yeah, well, it is a low bar. You're right. They've got a bit of fight about them and they've got certainly more tactical flexibility than they did under Mick McCarthy. And I think this shows that him knowing the club is a big advantage. I know he knows the club is a cliche. It gets laughed at nowadays, mainly because of Frank Lampard. But it is a good thing. Who's going to be putting more effort on the training ground? A young coach who's auditioning for his first managerial job and used to play for Blackpool or Mick McCarthy who's on his millionth job. It's it's obviously going to be the young coach. Not doubting big mixed professionalism, but you see what I mean. So even if Blackpool get relegated, I think they probably should give him the job. I know Paul Hurst at Grimsby has been linked, but makes sense based off the very small sample size that we've seen so far. We already know Birmingham will be a championship side again next season. They've gone from beating Millwall to losing to Blackpool. And I suppose that kind of sums up their season, doesn't it? Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about an exciting one-all draw between Preston and Blackburn and a huge win for Swansea. Back to the second tier podcast, a 93rd minute own goal by Dom Hyams saw Preston draw one all with Blackburn. A couple of crazy moments in this game. Blackburn cross the ball into the box. Sammy Schmodix dives forwards, puts the ball in the back of the net, goes off celebrating. The goal is disallowed because he's quite clearly punched it in. And Smodix has the cheek to run over to the referee and complain about it. <laughs> it's incredible. It's a bit embarrassing for him, really. And so if you're going to complain about that, you're going to complain about everything. And then the other crazy moment was right at the death. Blackburn, a goal up. Suddenly the ball is pumped up to Ryan Hedges, who's through on goal, one-on-one with the goalkeeper. He runs through, tries to chip the goalkeeper, who's on his line. He catches it with ease, and Preston instantly go down the other end and equalise. What is he doing, Justin? Just smash it or take the ball to the corner do anything other than try to lob the goalkeeper who's on his line it's yeah i know it's it's easy to say those things in hindsight but i, I don't know why you'd ever think it'd be a good idea to do that in that situation it's just plain daft into but blackburn desperately needed a win here winless in six games their remaining three games are burnley luton and millwall and it's becoming quite difficult to see a top six finish happening for them now, isn't it? It's perhaps killing games off has it's been an issue all season for them. Not necessarily not creating enough, although those two things probably go hand in hand. But the inability to really kill games off in those tight fixtures like this one is it's probably cost them four points. It's not necessarily killing the game off by scoring that extra goal. It's it's game management. And I know they have been very effective at that this season. But over the last two games that inability to, to kill games off, to, to manage that final two or three minutes has cost them four points over the last two games alone. That would more or less see them guaranteed a top six place had they have just maintained concentration or had just taken the ball into the corner. So yeah, that, that dropping out of that top six, I think is down to maybe that, that lack of killer instinct when it needs to be, when it needs to be there, when it needs to be present. And it's something that has, has unfortunately impacted them for, for the majority of the campaign under Thomason. Well, it's been well publicised that I never fancied Blackburn <laughs> to finish in the top six. And it now looks like that's going to be the case. They've been in a false position for me all season. That's not down to agendas or whether I like Blackburn as a football club or a town or city, wherever it is, or anything like that. It's simply down to them not playing as well as their position in the table suggests. And... There always seems to be that one team each season who are doing extremely well despite the underlying data not matching that position. And each season, that team falls away. It was Blackburn this season. It was Blackburn last season, actually. And then Reading the season before. This is my issue with Yondal Thomason. His his game management isn't convincing. They've won just two points from losing positions all season. And now they're letting leads slip when they simply weren't before. They were impenetrable mm-hmm. when they went a goal ahead. And I've still got questions over him as a manager because you can't sustain a playoff 
promotion push whatever by creating as few chances as they do but it has still been a good season for Blackburn I, I take no joy in the fact they're probably not going to finish in the playoffs I do take a lot of joy in pre in being proven right though um and there's a nice little space in my wallet Justin for the 20 English pounds you'll be handing over to me yeah, at the end of the that. season yeah I'm, I haven't uh, speaking <laughs> of playoff pushes Preston's is still alive Thanks to this late point, difficult to see it actually happening because their remaining two games are Sheffield United, who still need to secure automatic promotion, and Sunderland, who are flying, one of the form teams in the division now. So I'd say their chances are looking pretty slim, to say the least. I think the goal difference is a big factor as well. They've got the worst goal difference out of those sides, which will have a significant impact should they be level on points with other sides. That being said, they are showing the fight. I mean... This was a game where I thought they created the better chances. We were talking about Blackburn not doing enough to win this game, and they didn't. Preston were well-deserving of a point at the very least, but there is a little bit slacking from this Preston side to really sustain that top six push. I've alluded to their performances against those teams in and around the top six not being at their best and probably not being enough to really to really push on for a top six place. But a remarkable season in it. I think Ryan Lowe's achieved massively to get Preston where they are now. For them to still be in that playoff hunt is a remarkable achievement for their budget, for their transfer business this season, which has largely been quite poor, I would argue. A lack of proactivity from the from the board would probably lend to that. But it's been a good season. They're still in the fight, just looking unlikely. Points and goal difference being you know, factors playing against them. Yeah, the fact they're even in the conversation is remarkable in itself. So you've got to tip your hat in that respect to Mr Lowe Norwich nil Swansea 3 Norwich were down to 10 men for more than half of this game but were already 2-0 down by that point and ended up being quite an embarrassing afternoon booze ringing out around the ground on numerous occasions and a lot of empty seats by the 90th minute just a very bad day at the office for Norwich and it's not been the first time that's been the case in recent weeks has it I don't really know what to say about Norwich without it coming across as incredibly ranty. Um, I was appalled by the defending in this game. The body language in this game when the goals went in was, was I hate using these words, but borderline disgraceful. Um, and I think that comes down to, to some really poor planning. It was, well, poor planning over, over the course of the season. Um, the, the, the Wagner appointment hasn't really inspired the way it needed to. But as I say, the defending and body language for the for the Swansea goals from the Norwich players was was absolute garbage. Late tackles, half arse closing down. It is genuinely some of the worst defending I've seen at this level. And that's a top half team competing to get into the top six, or trying to compete to get into the top six who have just come down from the Premier League. Not a good position to be in. I am I am incredibly concerned for Norwich going forwards. Based on that performance, it needs a it needs a big old a big old summer ahead, bigger than we thought. Swansea completed nearly 900 passes. It did become a bit of a training ground exercise for them, but 900 passes is insane. But Norwich's season is going from good to underwhelming to being just pure bad. They're a club in a low-key crisis. Obviously, not a crisis on the same scale as what's going on behind the scenes at your West Brom's, Birmingham's, etc. But it's something of an identity crisis, and I think... I think it's all down to Stuart Webber, the sporting director. The appointment of his mate, David Wagner, never looked convincing because his last couple of jobs didn't go well at all. And he's now picked up fewer points per game with Norwich this season than Dean Smith did. And despite not being far away from the playoffs, they haven't looked like actually getting there for a long time now. This performance against Swansea summed it all up and it just adds salt to the wounds that the manager they should have got is in the opposite dugout. That was a that was he should have been the number one choice mm-hmm. for Norwich when they got rid of Dean Smith, but instead they took what seemed like the safety option from a Stuart Webber perspective and it's just not worked out. I've been questioning Stuart Webber for a while now. The appointment of Dean Smith was always a strange one. The recruitment over the years has been shocking doesn't get spoken about enough for me Norwich have spent a lot of money in recent years and only a handful of the expensive signings they've made have actually come off and I think Stuart Webber is kind of living off the fantastic bargains of Timu Puki and Emi Brandia from many years ago because aside from those two there haven't been many other clever signings that 
has been done under his watch and it seems like his judgment has been off for a while now if i was in charge of norwich i'd be getting rid of him this summer he can take wagner with him because the club needs a soft reset and that can't happen while weber is there so something needs to change ultimately swansea they're absolutely flying four wins on the bounce they've won more games in april than they did from the end of october to mid-march and suddenly questions are being asked of a possible late playoff push three points off surely not justin i think that is an incredible achievement for swansea to then put themselves in the conversation after being pretty pretty poor from you know big portion of the campaign I think is is testament to Russell Martin his his tactical consistency, his his drive and want to get more out of this team and I think we're seeing a culmination of it all clicking together at a very good time for Swansea, and I think if they do miss out on the top six, the board will kick themselves so hard in the shins it will be a hospital trip because if they invested just a little bit more into that squad and and, and invest a little bit more into Russell Martin. I think they'll be a very comfortable challenger for the top six. There's no question of that in my mind. As I say, I think it's a really positive end to the season, but one that many will look back on and go, wow, if we, maybe if we just did this a little bit better. And that's not Russell Martin or the players either. Yeah, it's got to be remembered that this great form that they're showing now is still making up for what has been quite an underwhelming season from a Swansea perspective. And it didn't have to be this. It could have been a lot better. So it kind of papers over the cracks a bit, doesn't it? But still remarkable form and can't rule out the playoffs, but there's a lot of traffic in between there. And it's like LA traffic. A 91st minute winner from Andy Vyman saw Bristol City win 2-1 against Rotherham. I got very distracted in this game because Nigel Pearson and his coaching staff were wearing... A strange jumper with a huge bird on it. And I assume it's meant to be a robin, but it just looked weird, especially for a manager to be wearing it. But Rotherham, a strange side, aren't they, in the way that they seem to play better against the better sides. And I don't know why that is. I assume they must set up different tactically, but it's a bit of an odd quirk that they seem to suffer with. To be fair, they should have had another penalty in addition to the one they scored. Not sure how that wasn't given, although Bristol City were the better side on the balance of play. Doesn't help much with Rotherham's survival hopes. Them and Reading were the only sides in the bottom seven to lose this weekend. They've got their rearranged game with Cardiff on Thursday, which is just becoming bigger and bigger, Justin. It, it is. And it, again, it's one of Hugo's former clubs, so I'd expect him to show up, although his, uh, his end to Cardiff was a lot happier than it was with West Brom. Um, but it, it does become a massive game and it's a team that are down there with them. So... It's it's a big it's, it could be a big result and a big performance needed from Rotherham to get to get to get through it. But as I say, that it's quite difficult to judge Rotherham because one minute they're up, one minute they're down. It's it's very difficult to to really pass a, a full judgment. I still expect them to to get out of that bottom. Well, to to not be relegated because I think they're a better side than Reading at the moment. But that being said, they're still in the conversation as certain teams are for the playoffs. You can't rule them out whilst mathematically it's still possible because they've just not been able to build that form up at a good time to really pull themselves away like Birmingham City have, for example. So, yeah, there's still a lot to do there from Rotherham, but they've got the quality of players I'd expect to do it. They've just got to do it. Very simple for me to say, but I can, I'm an armchair fan, I can say that. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, I'd, I'd still be very surprised if Rotherham actually yeah. went down this season, although, got to be said, they're Positions looking a lot more tenuous now than it was before the weekend started. On Thursday, I was talking about Nigel Pearson and how I think Bristol City should shake things up a bit this summer and give someone else the reins for next season. And I was amazed to see how many Bristol City fans were rushing to defend him. This was just their fourth win since mid-February. And you've got a manager here who's had his third season at the club and there's been very little progress in that time and I can't recall there aren't too many managers who get three seasons in charge of a club yes I get he's overseen the club cutting costs and he's bred through loads of youngsters all very positive but you can still do that while actually getting results on the pitch and as I say he's been there for three seasons now the consistency problem is still a massive massive problem and he's done a fine job but that's it it's just fine if he has overseen them through a transition, then great. 
he's left the club in a great position to achieve more than its third bottom half finish in consecutive seasons. Now, I think I'll just be saying to Bristol City fans is have some ambition because you could get an exciting progressive manager in. Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth, for example, if they don't go up, he'd be a cracking appointment. If not Nathan Jones or, I don't know, maybe even someone like Patrick Vieira. I just don't see Bristol City doing anything exciting while Nigel Pearson is at the helm, simply because I don't rate him very highly as a manager. And he's not done anything at Bristol City in the time that he's been there to change my mind on that. By the way, Tommy Conway, what a player. What a player he is. Eight goals for the season now. He is a real talent. Uh, Cardiff and Stoke. They drew one all. Sorry, Cabba missed a penalty in this one. Can score a stunning overhead kick, overhead kick, but not a penalty. Unbelievable. Was a good save by Jack Bonham, to be fair. This was a real missed opportunity for Cardiff to essentially secure safety. Because if they won here, they'd have been five points clear at the bottom of three. I mean, wow. That would, that would be it, wouldn't it, if they actually won this game. So instead, they've got to deal with that massive game against Rotherham on Thursday, where... Can we go as far to say whoever wins is probably staying up? I'm not too sure. but <laughs> I don't think we can. Well, you say that, Justin, but let me just have a quick look at the table. Because, say, they're both on 46 points. They'd be on 49, so they'd be six points clear of Reading. So, probably would be. Whoever wins that is probably staying up. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if a draw would be a good result. But, yeah, it's a huge, huge game on Thursday. Meanwhile, Stoke have confirmed their championship status now. So, we can look forward to entertaining you Stokies again next season. And then, finally, an Ozan two-fan penalty against his old club. So, Hull beat Watford 1-0. Watford fans were taking the mickey out of Hull when they signed him. Oh, dear. It was... a. Uh... It's quite funny with the penalty because the whole player was appealing for it while going down. It was it was very strange. It was like yeah. going down on the Titanic. Um, I think it speaks volumes just in that this game is last in our running order because Watford losing is just not a shock anymore. That's how far the club has fallen in a matter of months. They're in the bottom half of the table now. Bottom half of the table. Imagine that happening when the World Cup was on. They were fourth and... Look like they could challenge for the top two, but they have truly fallen off a cliff, haven't they? And since the start of February, only Reading and QPR have picked up fewer points than Watford. They are on course to have the worst finish for a side relegated from the Premier League in the last three seasons. It is an absolute state at Vicarage Road. And I mean, they're quite lucky that the drop-off happened so late in the season because if it happened a couple of months earlier they could be in serious danger if this season was a couple of months longer they could have gone down couldn't they but mm. Watford fans just want this season to end and I don't blame them we wait with bated breath to see if anything actually changes at Watford next season Justin I don't think it will we we were told about their philosophy changing in the summer two months into the season Rob Edwards is sacked and they're still going through this merry-go-round of t- terribly running a football club it's a case of, I know there are a lot of clubs that have gone into administration in the past, but Watford are a really good case of how not to run a football club. Um, and I know they've had Premier League football, but they've badly spent their money. They've invested it poorly. They've sacked manager after manager. I think their compensation for their managers over the last four years is astonishingly high. I saw a, I saw a table on social not too long ago, and that just speaks volumes. So, yeah, it's not a surprise to see, see Watford drop off. I think the surprise is them to do it with the quality of player that they still got in their team um, and Chris Wilder is almost certainly going to not be at the helm come next season so again like you said we wait with bated breath to see what they do because it's always intriguing well done to Hull have only lost one of their last seven now and a good win here for them and the final game of the weekend is Luton v Middlesbrough potentially the playoff final in just over a month's time that game is on Monday so we'll talk about that in Thursday's episode now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And the Daily Mirror is reporting an American hedge fund manager is close to buying a stake in Birmingham City. Tom Wagner oversees more than £7 billion in investments and has worked recently with NFL star Tom Brady. Birmingham's owners confirmed recently that they've entered into negotiations with two different parties over stakes in the club. Interesting news, Justin? Yeah, it's, it's, it's positive news. It's a step in the right direction. Obviously, we can't judge... Uh, an owner until we we sort of get proof in the pudding but 
at the end of the day, the club needs investment. The club needs a new owner. Whether this is a controlling stake or just a contribution remains to be seen. But it's got interest. There's someone who wants to buy Birmingham City. Someone who wants to take on the debt. It's a good thing. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it happens. And then we can start to you know, speak more positively uh, about things off the pitch for Birmingham City. Like we haven't well, done yeah. that for a while. Yeah, definitely. The club can only start moving in the right direction once it gets new owners in. Because at the moment not knowing who your owner is, is not a good position to be in, is it? So you've got these two parties. I think uh, Wagner or Wagner wants a 25% stake or something like that. And I think the other stake is also for in that region. So not complete takeovers, but at least there's interest. And that could always increase their share in the club, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Sheffield United have announced they're no longer under a transfer embargo. They've been under the sanctions since January over failing to keep up with transfer payments. The BBC reports that the removal of the embargo is not related to the proposed takeover of the club, but because of additional funds raised by their FA Cup run and renegotiated transfer deals. Um, But that's good news, of course, because transfer embargoes aren't ideal. It hindered them a bit in January. Whether... This is it now, and there won't be any more embargoes in the future. Have to wait and see. But always a good start into actually getting out of one. Uh, West Brom fans have shelved plans for another protest against owner Guachan Lai in a bid to be together for the final championship games. Fans group Action for Albion are adamant they're only pausing their season-long battle against Lai. They see it as counterproductive to hold a demonstration before the final home game against Norwich on the 29th of April. In injury news, Sunderland centre-back Danny Batt has been ruled out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. The 32-year-old picked up the injury in Tuesday's draw with Huddersfield. And Burnley are under investigation after fielding a weakened side in their goalless draw with Reading last weekend, according to The Sun. The Clarets fielded a much-changed starting lineup for their clash with the Royals. This caused frustration with their relegation rivals Huddersfield, who then raised concerns when they saw six changes to Burnley's typical lineup. The EFL have apparently written to Burnley over the matter, and if found guilty, they could face a points deduction and a fine. Uh, Justin? Just bollocks. That's it, isn't it? Um, there's nothing more to say about it. Burnley have got really good depth in the squad. Um, I think t- 12 of the 18 featured in the previous squad, so it just seems a non-story. Uh, I think the EFL are just ticking a box, which is fair enough. They've got to do it, but nothing will come of it. Uh, I'm pretty certain of that. It's As I say, it's complete bollocks. Sensationalised bollocks. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's one of those where the EFL have written to Burnley, but the chance of actually something happening is just not going to happen. And maybe they'll get a fine. A points deduction, I can almost guarantee, isn't going to happen. I think it's one of those where it could happen in an extreme circumstance, but no, not going to happen on this occasion. Um, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who's the best centre midfielder in the championship? Josh Brownhill, Gus Hamer, Ollie Norwood. Oh, I, look, I like Gus Hamer a lot. I went a bit cornish then. I like Gus Hamer a lot. I think he's <laughs> been absolutely brilliant. Hamer Badger is his, is his nickname. Um, not caught on yet, but I wish it did. Josh Brownhill, though, has been exceptional. That's a hard one. But I'm going to lean towards Hamer because he's got the full package. He's got everything you want in a midfielder. I don't think the other two have, which might be harsh, but that's yeah, just a game of opinions. Uh, I think they're different players, aren't they, really? Because Hamer is more of a dribbler than the other two whereas I think Ollie Norwood is better at the he's probably the best at the defensive side of the game out of yeah. those three I'd go Norwood personally he's, an, he's had an exceptional season somewhere his numbers are just bizarrely good 46% of people said Josh Brownhill 31% said Gus Hamer 23% said Ollie Norwood unsurprisingly had loads of loads of other suggestions to this uh, we had Matt Grimes Jean-Michel Serry Josh Cullen, Jordan Clark, you know, fair enough. Everyone's entitled to their opinions, but I think those three just, as to, as far as all-round centre midfielders go, they're right up there, aren't they? Was QPR's victory over Burnley the biggest shot result in Championship history, yes or no? Certainly since we've been covering the Championship and certainly one that I can remember in the last 10, 12 years, uh, just the form of both sides is incredible. The difference in, in that is just bizarre. What a, I don't think you can get a bigger shock than that, even if you yeah. tried. 
I'd agree. Uh, 68% of people said no. 32% said yes. And finally, who's the bigger championship expert, Ryan or Justin? I think it's me, to be honest with you. I, I think I get... I, I my, my deep memory bank is much more significant than yours. Mm, well, I mean, you've now lost on Diddy or Dinty this season. You've now lost on the Craig Bryson pub quiz last season. You've been appalling at the Camps Championship tennis so far. So yeah, in terms of games, yes. But in no, terms no, no. of also predictions, I tend to get a lot more right as well. You are you are a, a, a data man. I, I go with my, my feelings a lot more and I think that matters more as a championship expert and I just I just think the games are, are psychological and I'm weak in that, in that front. I, I'll admit that. <laughs> I can be better. Justin Peach and his weak mind. 63% <laughs> of people said Justin. 37% of people said Ryan. And I think, to be honest, that's a lot of people who are very bitter about me always being right. <laughs> now it's time for Lee Camps Championship Tennis. It's the game which everyone is talking about. It's quite simple, really. So I'm going to say a championship player, past or present. Justin then has to respond with a player whose first name starts with the same letter of the surname of the player I just said. So, for example, I say Chubrakpon. He says Alex Scott. And we keep going until someone takes too long to respond, about five seconds. Or someone says a player who hasn't played in the championship. Or if someone says a player who's already been said. If we think a player has been said who hasn't played in the championship or has already been said, the other player can challenge it. However, if that player is wrong, they lose. And when I say play in the championship, I mean since it was rebranded in 2004. We'll do first three again, Justin. And the question that everyone is asking is, will Justin Peach ever win a point in this game? I thought I did last week. No, you didn't. Oh, Christ. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm not confident. Told you. Just weak psycho- psychologically. That's what it is. You can go first if you want. Oh, I've cocked this one up. Andy Eardham. Ooh, Yaya Sonogo. <laughs> um, incredible. Um... <laughs> He's gone. He's I gone. crumble so quickly. He is so weak in the mind at this game, Justin. You've got to have your head in the freezer, but fire in your stomach at the same time. And you don't seem to have either. I think did he or didn't he just completely crushed me. My collapse has just completely crushed me. I am hurtling towards non-league. It's and a you bad think you're state. the bigger championship expert. Pathetic. That's, uh, that's 15 love to me. Uh, I'll go next. I will go with Alex Scott. Alex Scott, another S. Um, <laughs> I just get it in my head. It's so hard to remember. Please, first please, name. just say just anything say beginning with S. Just, just say, go. Say anything beginning with S. Any player. Any player. Um, Sam. Sam. There aren't many Sams. Oh my God. This is there aren't many Sams. We're going to have to can this game. You're too bad at it. All I can think of is really bizarre players like Sam Slocum. Sam Slocum. Okay. Um, Sammy Schmodix. Get in the bin. Um, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. Just in please. Uh, Please, just, it's not that hard. We could get any listener on the show to play this game instead of you. You're meant to be a championship expert. But I'm just, I'm not dealing with pressure well at the moment. That's all it is. 30 love. Please just get a point. You can start. Ryan Manning. Matt Grimes. Gus Hamer. Harry Darling. Dan Barlasser. Billy Jones. The J. The J's do me. As do S's. And every letter of the alphabet. J, 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 J. John Harley. Five seconds. John Harley. John Harley. All right, we'll carry on. Um... Uh, my head's gone my head's gone you know what Justin fair enough rejoice you got a point listeners there. How rejoice can I, not... <laughs> hey, I just get my head was just stuck on Harry all, all I when you bring up S's all I think of is Simons and I can't think of any Simons Simon no Cox uh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go oh it's first to three isn't it we've got to go again yeah. um, go on you can go again Simon Cox <laughs> uh, Charlie Daniels 
David Davis. Danny Higginbottom. Uh, hello? No. 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 Gone. What I'm thinking of is Harold. Well, it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? (laughs) 3-1 to me in Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. Justin Peach has finally got a point. But there's a long way to go until I think he actually wins one of these games. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. Good news. We've got a game every day this week, which is great news for us as championship fans. Not great for us as championship podcasters. Because that means there's going to be a game on Thursday, which will be coming out on the same day that we release an episode. But there you go. So what we'll do is we'll react to all the games in Thursday's episode up until that point, And then the Cardiff-Rotherham game, which is on the Thursday, we'll react to in Sunday's episode. So with that being said, we look forward to seeing you on Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Brian Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. (laughs) 